is Joseph Ali presents. <clears throat> I want to say hello to my family in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and all and everyone across the globe. Um, <clears throat> we're so happy to be a part of this show and to offer you some of the suggestions and some of the things that we feel very important and we feel very strong about. Um, last time we talked, we talked about we talked to Sharon Milliman, who wrote a book on um, a song in the wind, and she had a near death experience and she went to heaven, and she talked about how beautiful heaven was and everything had a sound, and um, and even the part where she um, had a life review and she had a couple of who she thought was angels. Um, six foot blonde, good looking guys, and she found out that they were her brothers mm-hmm. who had passed away when they were young. Um, tonight we have, um, this is our first time doing an evening show, which we'll be doing it from now on every Monday at 8 o'clock. We have Dr. Melvin Morris, and we have Dr. Jeffrey Smith. Are you guys on? Yes. Right here. We're so happy to have yeah. you guys on. So the last time we had we talked about this, I, I had mentioned about Sharon and her brothers, and and all I want to say is that you grow up in heaven. When you lose somebody, they grow up in heaven, and there is no death, and life does go on, and um, and so Jeff, um, tell us what you're doing now. Well, it, just to follow that thought pattern. Uh, you know, there's a couple of wonderful books. If people would love to explore more about this, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters is one written by Brian Weiss. Uh, Journey of Souls is another. Uh, those are two hallmark classics that describe what Joseph just talked about of us having many experiences in many different roles that we play here with our soul group or our loved ones, as we play out these lessons that teach us forgiveness, understanding, compassion, love, as well as all of the shadow components that go along with all of those light components that I just mentioned, that in order to understand love, we have to understand what uh, pain is like, what, what disapproval is like, what disappointment is like, what jealousy is like. In order to understand uh, one, we have to understand and have experience with the other. So, that being said, the work that I've been doing, back to the question Joseph asked, uh, in the last four or five years, I've been exploring, as a trauma therapist, uh, I've been exploring this notion that part of our mind that we would call the subconscious or unconscious mind has residual psychic energy that's left over from experiences that we've had in other lifetimes that we don't have a conscious recollection of, but that sits just below consciousness, and in my opinion and in others that are in this field and writing books and having presentations and workshops, believe that that is being triggered by present-day stimuli or events that are happening in this lifetime um, that we don't really consciously know why we react at times to certain situations or certain people, both positively and negatively. 
And so the work that I'm doing is helping people bring that subconscious, unconscious processing into the conscious mind and uh, operate more as an observer rather than a perpetrator or a victim. And it's exciting to watch people get it and have their experiences in the clinical milieu or the clinical setting and then take that into their personal lives outside the office, have interaction during the week, and then come back in and do some more the following week. The ultimate goal is to train people, teach people, show people how to do this work independent of the therapist so that they can have ongoing dialogue with deceased relatives, with pets, with other entities, uh, and be at peace, be, be in more of a state of neutrality, not being triggered or charged by the things going on around them. And, Jeff, you do see a, a, a change, huh, when you see the next time, the next day? Well, yes, it's obvious, it's obvious to me that in the moment that the therapy is taking place, you can witness a, a healing. Uh, it, it shows up in tears. It shows up in smiles. It shows up in just weight, weight that comes off the person, uh, an energetic weight, a heaviness, if you will. Um, I can see it as it's happening. I can feel it in the room. Wow. And then, of course, week over week over week, if that's how long it's going on, then we go into the next aspect and the next layer or level of the work as well. And everyone's different. Every situation is different. Everybody is, I mean, I even in, you know, people always say to me, well, is there hell or is there purgatory? All those things and everybody, I think if you really expect to see those things, I think you'll see them. Whether they're, they're there or not, I'm not so sure, but I do know that you get what you think you want. When you leave here. Yes. That is supported throughout the literature and certainly our own personal experiences and professional, uh, that is, that is consistent. Because everything that I've ever, I mean, I mean, I mean, Dr. Morris and, and he's the one who got me started this in the first place. Um, <clears throat> everything I've ever read, everything I've ever talked to have always said that heaven is really what it is. It's heaven. And it's just exactly what, what I, I mean, um, there's one guy who has a book out. In fact, I'm going to have him on his show here very soon. Um, his name is Terry Householder. And Terry went to heaven. He didn't die. He actually ascended to heaven because he was, um, he just, I'm not sure exactly why he did that, but he ended up going to heaven. And he wrote a book and he calls the place that we end up a, um, a, a, a place where uh, um, a counseling place where he's where everybody and he, because he wasn't dead he had nobody to meet him which is kind of funny about this and so he um, he's he waited there and all of and and then Jesus came in and said I want to show you something and took him for a ride he flew this is his words they flew about two hundred feet above above the ground and they and he gave him a tour of heaven and he said he saw vast pastures with horses and big beautiful homes and landscape and he went on and on how beautiful and he said you have no idea how big this this is 
I mean, it goes for miles and miles and miles, and he was just in awe. He couldn't hardly speak. He was so in awe of the beauty that it possessed. And it was, it's a great book, and I'm gonna, um, I've read it. It's called Power Love and a Sound Mind by Terry Householder. And, um, I've asked him to be on the show, and he's agreed, and so we'll talk about that later. But I just want to say that, you know, Jeff, our understanding is that heaven is, there's no death, and heaven is real. And, um, and as you, as we said, you get what you, so you believe. Um, you know, and so, um, what do you think about that, Dr. Morris? Well, um, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, before uh, we go into that, I wanted to go back to, um, what uh, Dr. Smith was talking about with uh, the past life therapy, um, because uh, it's it's something that I think, uh, particularly uh, in this country, uh, it's um, it's not really believed. Uh, you know, people, uh, you know, past life therapy. Come on, you know, um, and uh, you know they, you know, it's always. Uh, I, I hear skeptics often say. Well, everybody says that they were, you know, uh, 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 you know, the Queen of Sheba or, you know, a pharaoh in a past life. Um, but uh, I want to emphasize uh, that uh, there is all, uh, actually a significant amount of solid uh, research uh, showing uh, that uh, reincarnation uh, is a real phenomenon. And uh, most of this work uh, in this country is done at the University of Virginia, uh, started by uh, uh, Ian Stevenson, uh, who uh, I knew uh, very well, um, and uh, I worked with him um, for uh, several years. But uh, Ian Stevenson, he traveled the world, and he found children just at that age of two or three, when they're just starting to talk, and some of the first things they would say would they be they would describe past lives, well, and uh, the research on this is uh, very important uh, to understand the work that Dr. Smith is doing, because uh, these uh, children, by and large, uh, they describe uh, first of all being ordinary, uh, um, you know, people in their past life. Second of all, they frequently gave enough details uh, that Dr. Stevenson could actually. Uh, track them down, uh, you know, uh, track the stories down, and could, he could actually find uh, a deceased person, you know, in a, in a nearby village, or um, uh, uh, sometimes even uh, across the country, um, uh, you know. Uh, and the but uh, third of all, um, that uh, these children. Uh, usually died some kind of violent or unnatural mm -hmm. death. And that, you know, just as uh, Dr. Smith was saying, they're left with this sort of psychic residual uh, of that uh, unnatural death. And uh, he even found uh, that oftentimes they would have birthmarks which corresponded uh, to their past life memories. Uh, they were, you know, let's say, uh, you know, they had uh, died from a spear uh, traveling through their body, um, you know, piercing them you know, from, from front to back. 
uh, they would have scars uh, which mm-hmm. exactly uh, corresponded uh, to um, uh, to to their uh, memories. And uh, this work is uh, continued at the University of Virginia um, by um, uh, it's uh, Jim Tucker is a psychiatrist there, and he has just done uh, extra, you know extraordinary work. And this is very rigorous. Uh, um, you know, they said that uh, they described Ian Stevenson as, as sort of being a prosecuting attorney when he would uh, go into uh, you know these homes and these families and try to figure out uh, what exactly was going on. And it just, uh, he collected uh, hundreds and hundreds of these stories uh, over his career. Um, and then Jim Tucker is uh, continuing his work. So, uh, I mean, this is, this kind of solid scientific research, I think, uh, you know, then, then you got pioneers like, uh, uh, Jeff Smith, uh, who are then taking this kind of research and saying, hey, wait a minute, if this is true, and we know that uh, people, uh, when they die, uh, violent death, you know, uh, they frequently um, remember it and uh, feel the need to talk about it when they're age two or three, uh, you know, then uh, doing some kind of therapy um, uh, makes a good sense. Well, you know, I have yeah. to tell you, I didn't, I never thought very much about this, um, past life stuff. I just, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with a, a man who was a monk at Yogananda's ashram who changed my life. And, um, he, we spent some time together. And this occasion, he had a friend who was complaining that he was not able to sleep. And so Ron and I went to his house, and he said to Ron, Ron Zeiler was his name, he said, um, Ron, I I have these horrible nightmares of me dying in fires. So Ron said to the guy, well, let me do a, do a pass, is it a regression? Is that what you call it? Right. Um, and so he actually went into the room with him, and he got a tape recorder, and he said to the guy, I want to try this. Guy, I don't believe in that crap. I don't believe in anything. He said, that's okay. You don't have to believe it. I'm going to tape it, and then I'll ask you some questions, and this is what happened. So I sat outside the door, and I, I, I couldn't hear, but I. But when they came out, the guy was like, wow. And, and he played the tape for me, and what he had said Ron would say to him, what, what, what are you doing right now? Where are you? And the guy would say, I'm in this barn. And he'd go, what are you wearing? I have a pair of jeans on and a top and, and it's, and there's a, and look around you. What do you see? And the guy says, well, I see a lantern. Oh my God, the lantern just fell and it's on fire and I'm, and I'm trapped. And of course he dies in a fire. And so then, the next next thing he he's had three fire deaths, and of course he can't sleep, and he keeps on dreaming about this and so, after he played these tapes to him, he realized that that's what it was and i would if I hadn't heard this, I would have never even believed in this, so it's funny you should mention this, Jeff. I didn't know this is what you were doing as well, as far as that's concerned, so I'm glad we're talking about this. 
Right. Well, I, I, go. I think it also uh, gone, uh, Dr. Smith. I was just going to say, as a as a collective, you know, fire in general, uh, most people can't help themselves but be drawn to fire. Mm-hmm. And if there's if there's something on fire, it's the big to do. It's the big news. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you see a car fire, and it, you know, disrupts traffic forever. So mm-hmm. anytime, <laughs> it's like we've all had some trauma connected to fire. All of us have. I sure have. I lost about, I, I, I was involved in a, a horse barn and we lost, a, a barn burned down and we lost about 12 horses. I, are you kidding me? I was, had trauma for years over that. You bet. I think we're all, you're right about Well, that. it would yeah. only make sense then that uh, that type of uh, psychic trauma uh, could then uh, continue on with you, uh, you know, uh, as we go through these cycles uh in and you know the funny part is, I don't know why I'm even talking about this because it's not about me. But the funny part about this is that I was a young child <clears throat> doing. The, I guess my father was overseas and it was doing the war in the 40s. Our p- apartment caught on fire twice, and I remember I was in bed sleeping. The place was full of smoke, and he knocked on the door, and they had us get out of the house, and our place burnt down. Our place almost burnt down. And then after we got everything put back and it cleaned up, it happened it twice. So, I mean, I slept with my clothes on for years, thinking I was going to be woken up and have to get up, get up and go. Right. Well, yeah. in, the, in the work that we're doing right now, there's there's two pieces to doing the work. And it, this is so cool because it matches up with how we do controlled remote viewing with both hemispheres of the brain. So in one regard, there's teaching and education and mindfulness or the old cognitive behavioral piece of telling somebody, and Dr. Morse can talk more about this with his expertise on near-death experience, the body body may endure the trauma of burning up and being on fire. But the soul, actually, most near-death experience encounters talk about the soul spirit has already departed the body and is not actually being tormented or tortured. Yes. Is, that, is yes. that reasonable to say, Dr. Morris, that there's a, there's a separation uh, there between the spirit experiencing it and the body experiencing it? Oh, absolutely. Um, that, okay. that's one of the most comforting things about my research, uh, right. is, uh, that we know that those last, uh, moments of life when, you know, when a child or, or an adult is in an intensive care unit setting and, you know, all the things that we do, uh, to such patients, you know, uh, putting IV lines in them and, uh, you know, and, and all the, um, you know, that goes on. It's extremely comforting to know uh, that uh, the child uh, or uh, the uh, you know adult um, doesn't actually feel that pain, uh, you know that um, ha- has already uh, you know views it all uh, from a point of view outside of the body. Um, right. And so you used uh, you used you a know. great word there, which is comforting. So part of the therapy that provides the comfort and the healing is the fact that even if I was burned up in a fire, 
even if I was run through with a spear or a javelin, even if, all these even ifs, it's like we really don't have to be afraid of how we're going to die. And we don't have to be afraid of when we're going to die. Because there's a master plan to this that we will be here for as long as we need to for learning the lessons that we chose to learn in each incarnation. So part of, part of what I've just described is simply the mindful, cognitive talk therapy part to this afterlife connection therapy or past life trauma therapy, whatever we're going to call it. Part of it is just educating and asking for the person to be open to this notion that we just don't have to live in fear of how we're going to die or when we're going to die. That's a big part of it. Does that, are we all in agreement with that? Uh, absolutely. I think that's uh, beautifully uh, said. Uh, I just want to add, uh, uh, just, um, uh, you know, from, from the science of it, um, when I was in Holland, uh, I met with a, um, uh, I, um, you know, one of the Dutch, um, pediatricians and she was an oncologist. Um, and she made exactly the point that you made is that, you know, even, uh, you know, in her field, you know, I asked her, how can she deal with, you know, dying, uh, you know, particularly she worked with children, you know, dying children all the time. And she made the point that you made, but um, her research showed um, that uh, children not only remember uh, past lives, but they frequently actually remember uh, coming out of, you know, heaven, for lack of a better word, and uh, returning to this body. Uh, She uh, collected uh, numerous such stories, and uh, children uh, even have drawings of it. Uh, and oftentimes the uh, children uh, felt uh, that they had picked out their parents um, as part of this process of returning to the body. And, and I, you know, for you know, I know this this is really hard to believe. Uh, you know, I, I, I do. I'd like to just point one thing out uh, for uh, the listeners: um, the children that report the, uh, these uh, types of experiences are typically uh, age two and age three. Uh, they they have a style of talking that we call that uh, they're concrete thinkers. So they haven't learned yet to lie or to tell stories. Storytelling Amen. doesn't really occur until about age four or five. Amen. And uh, these, you know, these are the first um, uh, things that they frequently talk about. And they'll talk about, you know, they'll uh, indicate uh, to their mother that, you know, uh, that they had chosen uh, to come. Uh, into this particular family, and you know when when this kind of research uh, dovetails very nicely then uh, with the kind of therapy uh, that Dr. Smith is doing, and I think it gives it a lot of credibility uh, and validity. I mean, how many times have you heard? I have heard. I mean, I've heard parents when a child says, "I just saw an angel" or whatever the case may be. And the parent would go, no, you didn't. You're just making that up. <laughs> but in fact, in fact, they do see angels and stuff. Just like that little girl who was four years old, who was with my mother. I remember the story I told you last week where my mother came to her. They were having tea. 
And and my mother would do that. And she said, Grandma Angie would come to me every day, but now she just comes at night and she reads me stories. Wow. <laughs> I mean, she was she's four yeah. years old. And she saw my yeah. mother the last six months of her life, and she was with her every single solitary day. Her mother said, she's driving me crazy. She wants to see your grandmother all the time. They were connected, and so when she passed away, she was right there with her. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about the, the the two approaches or the two phases into doing the afterlife connections or past life therapy trauma. That and, it, and just as a quick review, step one was education, the psychoeducation, and asking for the person to be open to this idea. We've been here before. We've all died many different ways, many different times. It's nothing to be afraid of, and we can let that part go. So the second part, and that, that would be a left-brain cognitive function. The right-brain part is connecting to a, a universal source of oneness would be one name. Akashic records would be another name. There's probably 15, 20 sacred, traditional solid names for God, for just, just this, this, this energy that is about truth. And I've, it, it never ceases to amaze me how simply asking for the truth to be revealed, it shows up. And it shows up in a variety of different ways. But this is happening in the right brain. Dr. Morris can talk more about the anatomy of it or the God spot for those interested. But this part of the brain is able to transcend the person themselves or the mind itself. And it's connecting to uh, what we call a signal line. Well, again, there's many names for this. And in doing so, we get relatives that show up and facilitate the therapy. I can create a group therapy setting that involves relatives, friend or foe. We can get a variety of different entities to show up that are part of creating a group environment that allows dialogue to take place between, can you forgive me for what I've done, or I forgive you for what you've done, or help me understand why that happened, and it just through understanding and awareness creates the forgiveness that then takes us to that I can let it go and feel like this was actually done. I experienced this for me. It didn't happen to me. It happened oh. for me. That's a huge shift, a huge shift for somebody to get that this happened for me. And there really isn't any exception to that. Right. And what the, the and, neat thing and, for and, me and about part the of, therapist uh, part yeah. of it is I don't have to do the therapy. It's the, the entities that are showing up are actually doing the therapy, and I'm simply facilitating it. Oh, funny. I mean, uh, I, I've got to jump in and, uh, and uh, tell the listeners um, that uh, your kind of work, as well as um, the, the, you know, uh, there's you know, many past life therapists, and there's a rich literature on this going back uh, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, you can see the rapid resolution of symptoms um, with this kind of uh, research. You know, somebody comes in. Uh, terrified of water, uh, and then, uh, learns, um, you know, that they had drowned in a previous life 
and the, uh, the you know, their fear uh, can uh, disappear uh, quickly. And you've seen this with the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, once they resolve uh, and heal the trauma in their lives, uh, it, it, it can really uh, lead to the rapid resolution symptoms. Um, and I, I wonder if you could comment more on that, Dr. Smith. Well, uh, it's a great point you're making, uh, Dr. Morse, that whether this is current life trauma or past life trauma, it, it takes resonance in the person and it affects them in the same way. Uh, we just, in, in a lay state or a simplified way of talking about it, it's finishing unfinished business that largely takes place by taking a person in their present state, say as an adult, back into childhood where they can see themselves as an adult and see themselves as a child. And there's an interaction there as a supporting, loving advocate that allows the child to see that, wow, if, if I saw dad slapping mom and throwing her up against the wall as an adult, I wouldn't tolerate that. I would get in the way. I would call 911. There would be some outcome very different as an adult with the resources I have today than there were as a child that I just felt immobilized or I felt I went into the freeze mode and couldn't do anything. And that, that, you know, being able to see both of those outcomes allows the person to literally update their programming and finish the unfinished business, which is if that happened, if anything like that happened again today, it would not be like it was back then. That clears it. And that, that cognitively, both on both hemispheres of the brain, the cognitive and the emotional clearing takes place. Well, there's tremendous power in what you're describing. And I'd like to piggyback uh, on uh, what you're saying uh, uh, and just uh, go a little bit further. Um, is It's well known uh, in um, you know, psychiatric and psychological uh, studies of uh, child and adolescent uh, and adult development that when we're stressed, that when um, you know you're frightened or uh, angry, uh, etc., invariably you will regress uh, to that point in your life when you had trauma, uh, and, and it's often uh, an easy uh, task uh, to figure out um, when somebody had trauma in their life because you can uh, look at the way they react under stress. You know, if they suddenly start behaving like a three-year-old, invariably they had severe trauma at age three. If they suddenly start acting like an 11-year-old or like a 16-year-old. Um, and th this kind of, um, uh, th this is very hard to treat um, because uh, you know, with conventional therapy, because unfortunately, you know, as you've uh, pointed out, um, it, when you're in the adult state and you're in the adult mindset, um, you're not, you know, you know, of course you understand that uh, you're not supposed to lash out in anger. And of course you understand, um, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, how to manage your anger, uh, for example. Um, it's the problem is that when you're stressed and you regress to that three year old state, uh, then you're thinking like a three year old. And uh, this in the uh, population that I'm working with now, uh, the ex offender, 
this is a very, very important um, issue because uh, so frequently this leads to then criminal behavior uh, because, uh, you know, they lash out in anger. Uh, they don't know how to control themselves. And uh, what needs to be done is exactly what you're doing, is that you somehow have to communicate with that three-year-old child. Um, you know, the the three-year-old, uh, you know, they they blame themselves for the abuse. Uh, if you're abused yeah. at age three, four, five, or six, you actually blame yourself for it, and then you live with a <coughs> lifetime of shame and self-doubt. Um, whereas with the kind of therapy that you're doing, you can start to communicate, you know, the adult self can uh, communicate uh, with that, you know, six-year-old child, for example, and can say, hey, wait a minute, you know, let's think about this. You weren't to blame. You weren't at fault. Um, and that, again, can lead to a rapid resolution of symptoms. Um, and uh, I'm convinced it's uh, one key uh, to preventing recidivism uh, in criminals. Uh, you know, this type of therapy that you're doing uh, could save, um, you know, could save the victims uh, of uh, criminals uh, as well as saving uh, their lives as well. Uh, so, you know, I just I just wanted to add that. Uh, so, to, so, Jeff, uh, do you find that doing. everybody has this, this situation mostly? Well, I, I personally believe that's true, but that doesn't mean that everybody is living in a state of dysfunction. No, of course not. You know, um, the Hindus, do you know anything about the Hindus, Dr. Morris, as far as their beliefs yeah, and yeah. how they, how they figure, have past lives? I'm, I'm, I'm in a mindset where they believe that, um, in order to, that you go through these past lives to become, you know, what they call is God, is perfection or part of what they call they choose to call God to become one with the Father? Oh, interesting. I'm I'm not all that uh, familiar. You know, I, I've studied mostly um, uh, the uh, Tibetan sages as well you know, as I have uh, a quick the story, uh, quick story ancient Jewish about sages. That. My friend Ron Zyler was a a Navy officer. And he was uh, in, in during the Vietnam era, and he was a lieutenant commander. And his somebody who he worked with gave him a book of the autobiography of, autobiography of a yogi, which is a good sized thick book. And he said, "I want you to read this book." And Ron thought to himself, "I don't have any time to read this book." But he took it from the guy, and then he laid it down in the stateroom and. Looked at it for a couple of weeks, and finally he picked it up. And when he picked it up and he read it, he said it was like putting a 500 watt bulb into a light socket. He just went. He said for the first time that it never asked you, it told you how to do this meditation. I'm talking about doctor, and you know about that. Yeah. And he said that he did exactly what the book said. It didn't say, I want you to be a yogi. I want you to do what you do and use this and you'll be a better Catholic, a better whatever you are. And so he went ahead and he did that and he reluctantly gave the book, the guy asked her for the book a dozen times and he finally said, okay. And his mother in the States in San Francisco is walking downtown and she sees the autobiography of a yogi in the bookstore in the window 
and she gets a message, Ron wants this book. Mind you, he's overseas, aboard ship. And he, she gets this message, Ron wants this book. So she gets it up and she mails it to him. So he gets the book and he then says, I want to get out of the Navy. I want to go be a monk. And the captain said, we're at war. There's no, never, there's not going to be a chance of you going. It's not going to happen. In the next couple of days, the guy came out and said, I'm here to relieve Ron Zeiler. And he got out of the Navy and he went to be a monk. And that's, I learned huh. him after that. It's amazing somehow, <laughs> you know, that all of life seems to be interconnected that way. And he and truly, the, the, I know. have to tell you, he saved my life because my wife and I split up. I went to see him and we did meditation and, and the truly, I was a different man after that. So, I mean, I, how I, people come into your life. I, I'd like to add, though, something uh, to uh, uh, your um, story. Uh, that I think uh, relates back to the work uh, that uh, the therapy of the Dr. Smith is doing is I have found that with these advanced meditative techniques, uh, it is very useful uh, to have a guide. And uh, I'll tell you the, um, the the Jewish sages uh, who you know from 2,000 uh, years ago who wrote about this, uh, they emphasize that you should always have uh, some sort of a guide. Or um, you know, a helper, uh, to, you know, to facilitate uh, the meditation. Yes, I agree with and that. I, th- I, that I think that back. when you're starting to, you know, explore uh, these types of issues, you want to have somebody very experienced uh, working with you uh, if you're doing meditation, because or you should work with a counselor or a therapist. Doctor, I know you know this. You leave your body. You actually, you actually go. You leave your body. You ask to project. And it's important to know, get the right training because it's very dangerous if you don't have the right training. You know, where our bodies, when we do that, is, uh, is what is a very fine uh, cord, they call it. Um, and it's important that you know how to do this. So we, we want to talk about meditation in one of our sessions here because I think it's wonderful to, and you last time we had to talk about this, you gave somebody a, some techniques, doctor, so I want to do it again soon. Well, one uh, powerful technique that I think, uh, you know, that uh, fits in, uh, you know, again, with a, a kind of therapy uh, that we've been talking about uh, is something called Tonglen. And Tonglen is a uh, advanced meditative technique in which you actually feel the suffering that other oh, really? people are feeling. Mm. Uh, you know, it's very similar to, you know, to what happens in the near-death experience. Wow. And uh, you actually, um, uh, you you actually uh, get into the mind of um, you know the victim of a crime uh, or uh, somebody that you've hurt, uh, and you can actually feel the suffering uh, that you've caused, and uh, and and you can come to the same kinds of realizations uh, as um, uh, Doctor Smith's patients uh, uh, can can often reach. Uh, when, you know, sort of in a reverse way. In, 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 uh, his situation, uh, you know, the perpetrators of abuse will often come into the sessions and, uh, apologize for what they're doing, uh, because, yeah. you know, and perhaps for the first time they're starting to understand the pain that they have caused, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to uh, say that it, it's probably healing uh, for uh, the perpetrators of abuse, uh, even if they passed on from this lifetime. Um, you know, to to understand the suffering that they've caused. I, I wonder if you can comment on that, Jeff. Absolutely. The the interesting thing is that we're really still talking about a very uh, basic notion of the idea between perpetration, victimization, and being an observer. That all three roles are equally divine. The easiest role is to play the victim, and we're really good at it. But the the perpetration role is actually to serve and to support and facilitate and help the victim grow. So there, there, there is no good or bad. It's all, it's all equal. Um, but our concept, our concept is you did something wrong that hurt me. And I think that for me to heal from it, I need you to say you're sorry. And so if that's where, if that's where the person is, then that's what shows up for them. If they, if they, if they're, if they're not at a deeper level and that's really what they think they need for healing, then that's what shows up. You know, I remember you, I I, I keep on saying this that I talked about last week. I remember you told me a story and you don't talk about your private stuff at all, but this story just moved me because of the girl who was raped by her uncle. Yes. And, and, they had a big house in Catalina, and there was two sisters, I guess. One was one committed suicide because of it. And right. I remember you saying that the one girl showed up, and the observer, the one that you had in your office, saw her sister, and she was all dark. Her spirit was dark, and when her uncle approached her, and he asked for forgiveness as he's talking to her spirit lightens and lightens and lightens. Right. And yeah. and then he And these are very, very she, challenging times. Yeah. yeah. Go on, after she said I you know, I forgive you, then she left and then she uncle turns around and says to the one in your office, Can you forgive me? I mean that is priceless. Yeah. Yes. And, and I would these are very, very challenging concepts. I, you know, I, I want to just point out that, um, that it, it's very challenging, uh, what you're saying, um, Jeff, that, that, you know, that the victim and the perpetrator are somehow interconnected. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very hard thing, I think, for victims of abuse to, uh, hear. Um, and yet, uh, there can be no doubt that when that is understood as part of the healing process, uh, enormous uh, healing can occur. And it, it reminds me of a, a near-death experience uh, that I'm aware of, uh, a, a Nazi prison guard. Um, he, he was uh, deeply troubled uh, by what he had done, uh, uh, you know, as uh, you know, in the extermination camps in Germany. Uh, and uh, he suffered a heart attack later in life and had a near-death experience. And in his near-death experience, he encountered his own victims. Wow. And, in fact, his victims told him that they were all right now, you know, that they 
that, that they were okay. That, um, and that they were okay with what, what he had done. Um, I mean, so, I mean, what an extreme example. Um, and yet, uh, you know, we know from near-death experiences that when we enter into this light that, that we're all going to enter into when we die, it's a non-judgmental light. Yes. And yes, so sure non-judgment that. yes. is, that's what you're talking about, uh, Dr. Smith. When we're talking about non-judgment, then we're saying we're not going to judge the perpetrator. We're not going to judge the victim. We're not going to judge even a Nazi prison camp guard um, who is responsible for horrible atrocities. Uh, and he discovered that as part of his dying experience. Uh, he learned uh, that his victims uh, did not blame and did not judge him. Um, and, and that, of course, was very healing to him. And I, I wonder if you could comment further on this. <laughs> I'd be happy to. What what you've just introduced is what I would call the next tier or the deeper level beyond the you did something wrong to me and I need you to forgive me or vice versa is this idea that the person, say, in a subsequent session, we might go after, it might take several sessions to work something like this all the way through. And, of course, that's after all the other therapeutic work has been done and the groundwork has been laid. But we get to a point where the the, the quote-unquote victim, the person I'm working with generally, would actually see the divinity of the perpetration. They could see how if it if it had not have happened, I would not have learned what I learned about humanity. I would not have learned what I learned about myself. And that's that's the really cool place to be able to to wind up in is not only did I get my apology, but I could actually see the divinity in how all this played out for my enlightenment, for my uh, development of more of greater consciousness and my ability to love self and others. Wow, yeah, this is a very spiritual that therapy. That off this the is, That's what yeah. they need to do, Doctor Morris. This is a very right. Oh, absolutely. This is the kind of therapy uh, that that needs to be uh, brought into prisons. Yeah, uh, that needs to be uh, brought. Uh, heroin addicts, for example. Uh, I, you know, I I am certain uh, that this type of uh, therapy would be extremely effective uh, for addicts, um, particularly heroin addicts who so frequently have shattered childhoods. I mean, shattered childhoods we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, oh, poor them, you know, they had a bad upbringing. Uh, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, multiple uh, uh, cases of abuse and trauma, um, uh, you know, and uh, multiple betrayals. You know, I want to uh, talk you know. about that just for a second. You know, <clears throat> this, this guy who did this number on these, people at the airport in Florida, he also abused his wife or girlfriend. And same as the person who shot all those people in Florida at the nightclub, he also abused his girlfriend. It's kind of funny to hear that. Or not funny, but um, I just think that that's, um, we should look more into that. You know, that um, that kind of stuff is very, very my son's a Seattle police officer just retired, and he got shot a couple of times because he went out to domestic violence calls. 
as, right. as most of them most of them do because they called and then when they get there they don't want to the wives or girlfriends don't want to really press charges they're afraid of whatever the case may be and it ends up in a war. Yeah. Well, this is why uh, Khalil Peterkin, who uh, is uh, the clinical supervisor uh, at one of the therapeutic uh, programs uh, in the Delaware prison, uh, he points out uh, that it's essential uh, to do these types of uh, spiritual treatments on ex-offenders precisely to save lives, wow. to save the lives of the people uh, that they uh, are going to end up uh, injuring our, you know, our people that are going to end up killing, and quite frankly, to save their own lives. Um, oh, so, gosh, and, and, you know, this is not, we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about some kind of touchy-feely, oh, you know, go easy on offenders uh, type of therapy. Uh, this is a really uh, difficult stuff. This is hard stuff, and this is essential uh, stuff to save lives and prevent recidivism. You know, we have five more minutes, and I can't believe how this Ireland is zipping by. Gosh, um, the thing we didn't talk about, Jeff, was <clears throat> the subject about the master sergeant or the sergeant you brought in and, and who was having problems because of the men that got killed in his platoon. Well, we do have a little bit of that in a previous uh, episode that you can let people know they can archive these shows if they want to hear that part. Oh, that's right. That's right. Good. That's, um, well, in fact, guys, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if I talked to you, either one of you after the show, but the producer of this put this show on last Sunday, the last show we had, it aired five times nice five times yeah. he said people wanted to hear it so it's pretty I'm exciting glad, to me know, i mean because this is this is essential information that i think people need to uh hear uh, i'd like to uh wrap up uh, my uh, final uh, minute uh to go back to your question um uh, uh, uh joe joseph um uh, about whether heaven is real and, you know, that, that might seem like, uh, you know, it didn't fit in with the rest of this topic, but it absolutely does. Uh, because, uh, I think that heaven is that space, uh, where, uh, we can go and, um, you know, between lives or we can go, uh, to, you know, uh, with meditation or, uh, quite frankly, um, you know, Dr. Smith, of course, being a therapist, uh, he, he doesn't use words like heaven, uh, but I think that, um, that, that's the safe space, uh, that we're talking about that's essential, uh, in this type of therapy. And uh, I've got to tell you, uh, Joseph, um, the first patient I ever resuscitated that had a near death experience uh, was a young girl uh, named oh, Crystal yes. Merzlock. Yes. And, um, she, uh, uh she told me about her, uh, her near death experience, uh, you know, that happened to her at a time where I knew that she was clinically dead because I resuscitated her myself. And, you know, I, I, I knew that this child didn't have, you know, a chance uh, to live. Uh, of course, her parents didn't believe that, and they were praying at her bedside, uh, and those prayers obviously were effective. 
Um, but uh, later, uh, when she saw me in follow-up, and she just saw the disbelief on my face, you know, as I'm hearing this story about heaven and, you know, that she saw uh, her unborn brother and, and knew that it was a brother and knew that he had a heart defect, uh, which even the doctors uh, didn't know at that point um, uh, because, you know, he was still unborn. Uh, she looks at me and she just <laughs> she pats me on the wrist and she just sort of says very condescendingly, You'll see, Dr. Morse. Heaven is fun. <laughs> oh, how I remember that story, Dr. Morse. You're the reason why I got involved in this. I met Dr. Morse years back. I did his flowers for his wedding. And when I got there, there it was July hot, and I raised up the garage door, and there was all these books. And he gave me a couple books. The secretary told him I wanted a couple books. I sent one to Oprah Winfrey's designer, and the rest of it's history. I think you were on his her show twice, Larry King yeah. twice, 2020, Discovery Channel, and you were on my show twice. Yeah, and your show was the most important <laughs> one, Joseph. Wow, wow. Anyway, so I'm I can't thank you enough for for being here with me and. And Jeff, you too, buddy. Well, yeah, it's all work coming together very nicely. Yeah, I met Well, Jeff, uh, um, you know, I just, Jeff, uh, I've got to just say a final word about Dr. Smith's work. This is now the, you know, we're going from the wow to the how. You know, yeah. we, we were saying, wow, you know, children have near-death experiences. Wow, you know, uh, you know, the past life experiences have a lot of scientific validity. Um, you know, wow. But now you've got pioneers uh, like Dr. Smith, who's actually now implementing uh, these therapies where people can start to uh, heal. Uh, and, you know, I think of it as uh, unlocking the power of the near-death experience and uh, bringing uh, what we uh, know about near-death experiences uh, into uh, therapy uh, and directly leading uh, to the uh, healing uh, of people who suffered severe trauma, uh, among other people. Well, Dr. Jeffrey Smith, but on my show now, what, Jeff, five, six years? Yes, on and off, absolutely. Yes, and um, and I've enjoyed every minute of the show with you, and and I met Jeff on the phone, actually. I uh, wanted to come down to San Diego and get involved with probation and be a counselor. And I must have called 40 people, and nobody answered except Jeff. And I said, this is your lucky day. But it was really my lucky day, I think. <laughs> uh, obviously, it went both ways. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of my team. You got it. This is yeah, Joseph Vardy yeah, presents. It's an honor to be part of, part of your team, Joseph. This is Joseph Vardy presents. I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, next week we're going to have. Um, I'm going to talk with Allison um, Perry at the um, Central Oregon's Veterans Ranch, cool. who has a facility in Oregon who is wowing, wowing the people and really helping with sustainable living and saving lives and she at one time was a nurse 
at the uh, Veterans Hospital, and she said, it's time that we do something more. So she's got 19 acres down there, and they need a snow plow. They cannot get the snow out of the driveway. And if you guys are listening, you're anywhere near Central Oregon, please look up Central Oregon Veterans Ranch and help them with the snow plow. Anyway, um, and then also I want to talk about um, Aaron Aaron uh, Nelson, who is written, who's in a film that we're going to be involved in called Falling Inside Out. Um, he's a film producer, and this, if you look it up online, Falling Inside Out, I think you'll find it very interesting. Um, and if you want to look up Sharon's book, A Song in the Wind, and we're about to do a first ever musical with Sharon, and I'm going to have the um, Canadian tenors who are going to do the music, and also um, some other a children's choir is going to be. It's going to be a beautiful musical, and I can't wait to... This production is going to happen at May 15th at the Center for Performing Arts. Um, anything else, guys? That's it on my end. Okay, have a great night. All right, good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for having us. Good night. Bye.